Starting a new week, it's uh, what the lone survivors in minor league baseball is AAA now. So mm-hmm. yesterday was the final day of AA. Uh, obviously, Major League Baseball has about two, two and a half more weeks uh, ahead of it. But we're in the home stretch. Postseason races are fully here. And um, we're kind of tying a bow on the minor league season as a whole. Baseball is like nearing its end, yet we're gearing yeah. up for the postseason, which is kind of the best time of the year, right? Yeah, it's bittersweet, you know, especially for guys like us. I mean, I'm sure you've you've had a long season. I know you love what you do, but anytime you're you're broadcasting so many times, so many hours a week, there's definitely that time like, oh, it'll be nice to have a little bit more free time Uh, on my end. I can't relate to having to get to the ballpark every day, but just keeping up with everything on the minor league side um, can be a little bit exhausting. So I am excited, but I know five days in, I'm going to be like, I wish I could check the box scores. So I yeah. am very excited for the Arizona Fall League, which we'll touch on a little bit in this episode, just about how many elite prospects are going to be there. And then for our more in-depth breakdown on, on the Arizona Fall League prospects out there, you can listen to the call-up. But I, I'm excited for the the focus that kind of baseball transitions to now because baseball has so much going on at all times, right? You have 30 teams, of course, but games every day, essentially, all over. And then you got minor league games all the time, all over, so many levels. But then all of a sudden you get to this time of year where minor league's over, uh, all of the bad baseball teams eliminated. And then you just focus in on a handful, a little bit more with the expanded playoffs, but still a handful of baseball's best teams. And all eyes are on, you know, those teams. And it's it's really fun to concentrate it and and have this final stretch here, which I think is going to be one of the more entertaining postseasons because of the new rules. Because of the parity in baseball, I know we have our top heavy teams, but overall, there's a lot of really talented ball clubs. I think it's going to be a really fun home stretch. By the way, just baseball show, Jack. Are oh, yeah. Monday, uh, September they, they knew that already, though, I think. Unless I think they just so. play roulette and click play on random podcasts. But. Yeah. They, and I know that's what normal people do, right? That's what I do. I, I do just kind of like type in three letters and I say, you know what? Play it. See, I think if you do that, though, there's like a 90% chance you just get like a, a an unsolved mysteries like crime podcast. Because I have a feeling that that's 90, 90% of podcasts are like crime podcasts. The other 10% are guys trying to talk sports with their friends and, and turn it. Actually, no, I'm, I'm leaving out the, the health fitness people that just tell you what you're doing wrong in your life and like how you can make it better. And all you have to do is just eat salad every day and drink water. And, and- so. Yeah. So my health and fitness tips actually come at the gas station when I'm filling up, you know, better together with Maria Menounos. That is on every gas station. I live in New York. Oh yeah. So you don't, you don't do gas stations. I forgot, but every gas station I go to, I get better together. Like the, the life tip of the day for Maria Menounos. As you like contemplate whether you should undo one more notch on your belt. Correct. Exactly. It's like, it's, like it's tight, but the in. next notch will be too loose and you're like stuck in between. Right. I'm thinking, do I get do I get a Reese's fast break or a three musketeers when I walk into this gas station right now? And she's saying, 
drink lemon juice. It's yeah. great. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Uh, we're gonna bounce around the league a little bit. We'll we'll obviously check in on the on the postseason hunt and the standings here. But Hunter Green made his return to the mound. That's what I want to start with. Yeah, this guy is a freak show. He has not been the best rookie pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds this year. Let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Nick Lodolo has been objectively better. Nick Lodolo looks like a better major league starting pitcher. But Crazy. when Hunter Green is on the hill, you got to tune in. You got to watch. What yeah. was it? It was 33 pitches at 101 or above, eight pitches at 102 or above. This guy was averaging 101 in his fastball. Hunter Green was back were you shocked to see the velocity as high as it was off the il yeah i absolutely was you know i mean i was expecting to see a few hundreds or whatever but it, when it's a shoulder unfortunately it seemed more precautionary they caught it early but it was a shoulder twinge if i'm not mistaken you know, anytime you see that you're like okay usually the velo is is a little bit slower to come back you hear dead arm all those things the shoulder when when velo is down 90 percent of the time it's it's a shoulder issue so I thought maybe we'd see him kind of ease back uh, and and maybe not have the velo all the way back. It was all the way back, maybe, and then some. And I think the Reds were very cautious with him. So he's probably been ready to throw for a while. Um, and, you know, they took their time, built him up and whatever. So this might be some of the freshest he's felt since the beginning of the season. And we saw that. I mean, he dominated. And um, beyond that, the command was was solid, which is really encouraging because you see guys come off the IL and, you know, they don't command their stuff as well. They feel a little bit, you know, just out of sync with their mechanics, especially their arm timing, you know, everything. You, you don't throw a baseball for a while. You try to pick it up. It's it's a little bit weird. Uh, Hunter Green seemed to be very comfortable. And you talk about how many pitches he threw over triple digits. That was a lot of fun to watch. But he had that slider working for him, too, uh, which was which is just really good because he is great for baseball. He is a ton of fun to watch. And even though we've been high, you know, really high on him, it is funny to note that, I mean, Nick Odolo has been our, both graduated now, was our top pitching prospect in that red system. And that's while Hunter Green is throwing 102. Testament to Nick Odolo more than any indictment on the special Hunter Green. I think so. And, and we'll walk through a couple of Lodolo's last starts here. But Hunter Green, the final line on him yesterday was exceptional, or on Saturday was exceptional. Six innings, four hits, no runs, no walks for Hunter Green. 11 punch outs through 81 pitches through six innings, 58 for strikes. That is as good an outing as you can ask for from Hunter Green. And remember, against the Cardinals. Against the Cardinals. At Bush. At Bush. He took a no hitter into the ninth inning against Pittsburgh. Is that right? Or they finished off the no hitter. They still lost. He went eight no hit innings. Um, here's the thing. That was not like that, you know, no hitter of an outing because he walked six or seven guys in that game, uh, I want to say. So, yeah. yeah, there were a ton of base runners here. Here, there were four hits against him. All four singles didn't walk anybody. This is actually more encouraging to me than the eight no-hit innings with six walks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what's even crazier is he was heading in this direction before he went down with the injury, you look at the last start he made was against the Marlins and he didn't look uncomfortable or injured in that start whatsoever. Uh, he, he went six innings of one hit ball, struck out eight, walked nobody. If you even go larger to his last 12 starts, which he hit the IL after his August 1st outing, 
but you go all the way back to June 1st. This was a, a direction that Green was heading in. So I assume just the mechanics, he cleaned it up. He was able to find something that works for him. And even with the injury in between, he's been able to keep that momentum going. Over his last dozen starts, Jack, he's only walked about 2.3 batters per nine. Yeah. I mean, if he's there while striking out 11 and a half per nine, he's in business. And An all-star. it looks like Hunter Green's figuring it out on the command side as well. Um, that's going to be a problem for hitters. And the one-two punch of Lodolo and Green has a chance to be one of the most exciting one-two punches in, in baseball uh, on the pitching side. Who the hell would have thought we're talking about the Cincinnati Reds and we're leading with the Cincinnati Reds oh. on September 19th. Can't believe we're doing it, but real quick to wrap on the Reds, that is a start for Hunter Green, six innings, 11 punch outs, no walks. Last time Nick Lodolo was out on the mound, six and a third, 11 punch outs, no walks. Yes, six hits. Yes, three earned <laughs> runs. But if Lodolo's striking dudes out and creating this much contact on the ground. He gets so many ground balls. He's an ace. Yeah, I think he is. I think I think he is. You know, I think there's going to be a little bit of inconsistency in, in the early going to be like that bona fide ace but he's going to continue to show more and more flashes, I think, and more consistency. And soon we will be considering him a surefire ace, but he's a frontline guy already. We've seen it. I think he struck out more than 30 guys over his last three starts combined. I mean, this is a special lefty who's continuing to to kind of figure out how to make his stuff work for him as well. Uh, those two are going to be a blast. I'm interested to see how they piece together the rest of the rotation because uh, Graham Ashcraft looked really good for them before he went down with an injury. Could be a very solid middle of the rotation starter for them. Of course, Luis Castillo departs. Of course, Tyler Malley departs. But they got hauls for both of those guys, have their pitching prospects coming up and making an impact. Uh, I'm excited to conceptualize this rotation a little bit as we move forward because I think you've got your three spots figure it out for the most part, especially the one-two punch at the top with Lodolo and Green. I think you can feel good about Ashcraft fitting in there as your, your number three for now, uh, eventually probably number four if you add a, a veteran. Go add a veteran in there. Now you've got a solid four starters that you can rely on, and I'm interested to see how they kind of fill the rest of this out because they've got prospects like Abbott. Uh, Chase Petty, I think, is going to get up closer or quicker than people think. It's going to fill out, but I want to see them go get one vet, and all of a sudden, this is a sneaky good rotation. I say sign a Wade Miley, Mike Miner type again, where you just sign a random generic veteran to be the four and have Abbott and Brandon Williamson fight to the death for the oh, yeah, five Williamson spot in the rotation. Yeah. Out of Absolutely. Training. Absolutely. I'm in on that. And, and both of those guys, Abbott and Williamson, have way more upside than a five. So this could be a very fun rotation. Good for baseball when one of the worst teams in a specific division is trending towards being good soon. Uh, we've talked about the offense, and we'll talk about it a lot in the offseason of what that offense can look like. Reds are heading in the right direction. The Central should get better uh, before it gets worse. Uh, we know the Cardinals are going to be good for a while as well, and the Brewers are never bad. Yeah. Uh, let's burn some sage real quick. Let's clear the room of Reds baseball and talk about some winners. Just rapid fire. Does this team win the division, yes or no? We'll go through the three wild card teams in each league as it stands right now. Are those the three wild card teams? Yes or no? AL East, the Yankees, do they win the division? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Toronto, four and a half back, Tampa, six back. I'm with you. Yankees win. AL Central, Cleveland, four and a half ahead of the White Sox, who are three and a half ahead of Minnesota. So Minnesota, seven back at Cleveland, White Sox, four and a half back at Cleveland. Do the Guardians win the division? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Houston, 
Yes. Done. Done. NL East. Do the Mets win the division? Yes or no? They're a game ahead of Atlanta. No. I'm with you. I think, the Bra- I think the Braves do it. It's going to come down to the their head-to-head games, and I just like the Braves against them head-to-head. I just have all year. St. Louis, yes. Yeah. The Dodgers, tough. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Three, three wild-card teams in the American League. Toronto in the top spot. Tampa, a half game ahead of Seattle for that two spot. Baltimore, five back of Seattle for that final spot. Toronto, Tampa, Seattle. Are those the three American League wildcard teams? Yes um, or no? And in that order, yes or no? Yes. And I think Seattle overtakes Tampa for that second spot. Both teams have not looked great over the last week and a half. Uh, but I think Seattle's just built for a bit more. But although Glasnow, I think, is working back, right? Glasnow is working back. That is an interesting wrinkle in this. I saw some some brief clips of him looking nasty in Durham. I saw um, him top ninety nine. Yeah, that's a big that's a big factor here. And Eugenio Suarez hits the IL. Yeah. Uh, doesn't seem or doesn't seem like he's gonna be out for long. It's a finger thing. Yeah. Um, but he's been good defensively this year. Obviously, the bat's been really good uh, over the second half. Uh, conventional thinking tells me like Rays have the momentum going for them in that regard, but I just think Seattle's a better baseball team. Still a, a lot of games to go, relatively speaking. I think Seattle takes care of business. Soft schedule. They also have games coming up against you know like Angels, Rangers, whatever. I, I think they're going to be able to, to to take that second spot. Yeah, two fingers that we got to get to in a moment. But first, the NL wild card: Atlanta, ten and a half clear of the second spot, which is Philly. San Diego is a half game back for that final spot. Milwaukee is a game and a half back of the final wild card spot. We both said we think Atlanta wins the division. So the Mets as the top wild card team. Does it finish the Mets, Philly, San Diego? Yes or no? Mets, Philly, San Diego. Dude, I I'm 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 nervous that Milwaukee can steal that third spot. Yep. San Diego somehow is six and four in their last ten. I always I feel like San Diego stinks at all times at this point, and it, yeah. and it's like that's a team I've been optimistic about, but it's pretty crazy to to look at like Philadelphia and San Diego, and you, you'd think that there'd be almost more of a gap between the two with the way the Phillies have played over the last couple months, and with the way things have seemed in San Diego, I think it's just because relative to the expectations, San Diego has been a massive disappointment. Yeah. Specifically, Juan Soto, I think, has been a massive oh. disappointment, um, which we could probably talk about that honestly, uh, but. Again, this is another one. Conventional thinking telling me no way that this Padres team relinquishes it because also Milwaukee is just a flawed baseball team in some some aspects. But they keep hanging in there. They keep winning ball games. They give the Yankees and have continued to give the Yankees a very tough series. I, I'm nervous. I'm gonna say Padres hold on, but I don't feel good about that. I, I think easily the Brewers can sneak in and steal this wild card spot, this third wild card spot. On Saturday at 8.05 p.m. Eastern, I would have said that Milwaukee is a wildcard team and San Diego misses the postseason. And seeing Joe Musgrove bounce yeah, back the way it. he did yeah. on Saturday against Zach Gallen in Arizona, I figured if, if San Diego lost that game and Milwaukee was a half game within the final wildcard spot, I was going to say, you know what? The Brewers have all sorts of momentum here. And Joe Musgrove is still a shell of himself. Yeah. He bounced out of that beautifully. He twirled a gem. 
And all you need when Musgrove is on is two runs against Zach Allen. That's all they got. They won two nothing. Yep. Musgrove was big. Hater finally fucking closed. The That's game a huge Allen. one. If Hater is back, even just to 65% of what he once was, they can feel a lot better about their situation. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think from that lens, if Musgrove, I mean, I, I told Javi, I was like, hey, Javi, I would love for you uh, to to write something on one of our, our guys. Just baseball. He's been on the show a couple of times, obviously focuses on Padres for us, but does a little bit of everything. Hard especially. to get him to write stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know I, I hit him up and he's like, oh, I'm in on like a Musgrove piece, you know. Would love to to dive into his struggles in the second half, and then he shoves. So uh, we were probably tabling that one, and, I, and I'm glad we are. Uh, my one thing is this. The Brewers end the season the most ideal way possible. They've got the Marlins on the 29th and 30th of this month, as well as the first and second. That's a four-game set. And then yeah. they finish with three games against the D-backs. D-backs are a sneaky, tough team. Yeah. But you know, having the Marlins for four and the D-backs for three – is is a pretty solid way to to end the season, I think. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting little finish here, and I think it's gonna be fun. Uh, this is probably gonna be the the closest showdown we'll have, really, uh, in regards to the playoff. And it's funny we expanded the playoffs, and um, there's not that much uh, drama, really, at the end of this season, unless something crazy happens. Uh, there just doesn't look to be that much drama. Let's start the schedule next Tuesday. Move forward for Milwaukee and San Diego. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Milwaukee hosts St. Louis. San Diego hosts the Dodgers. Very tough series. Then you mentioned Milwaukee home against Miami. San Diego is going to be home against the White Sox that weekend. It's not easy either. It's not easy. Then you go to that Monday, October 3rd. You mentioned Milwaukee home against Arizona. San Diego hosting San Francisco. San Francisco is not going to be a shell of itself. Rodon will still likely be pitching. Logan Webb will still likely be pitching. Um, and, and that's how the season ends here. So Milwaukee has an easier end yeah. than San Diego does. Yeah, we'll but it's baseball. It's in. baseball. And yeah. the Marlins, you know, you'll have a Marlins team that's playing with nothing to lose and would love to play spoiler. And you have a D-backs team that would absolutely love to play spoiler. So that's where it'll be fun. I, that's the one disappointing aspect of this <laughs> this final part of the season here is I was hoping for a little bit more wild card suspense uh, with the expanded playoffs, but you know I think we'll get some National League wild card suspense between the Brewers and the Padres, and uh, that'll be a fun little showdown there. Yeah, real quick before we get to those fingers that I teased, Juan Soto, thirty seven games in San Diego. I understand 33 walks and 22 punch outs. I understand a 373 OBP, but I also see that he's hitting 205 in 37 games. He has eight extra base hits. And in 37 games, he has a 696 OPS as a San Diego Padre. He's not cutting it. I mean, this is what you gave up your whole farm system for, right? This is a guy that, you presumably extending if you gave all this up who you are going to give up half a billion for, right? Like that is not what he has looked like whatsoever. And baseball is baseball and you're going to slump. Things are going to happen. But at what point do we start you know, pointing the finger at Juan Soto and saying, Hey bro, you got to put up or, or shut up at this point. Right? Because we, we saw him turn down 
one of the largest contracts ever, right? Which understandable. I get it. He has been one of baseball's best hitters, but you got to do it at some point or else, you know, we're going to go into probably next season with, without any contract clarity. And he's going to really have to perform to, to exceed the number that he turned down. Because at what point do we start looking at it and saying, okay, how can you just hand him a contract with a ton of confidence with the way he has struggled as of late? I, I, I don't think that anybody is doubting Soto's ability, but it, it does kind of give you pause here when you're, contemplating giving him half a billion dollars. Ultimately, I think he's going to be fine and he's going to start hitting and it could happen right in the postseason and Juan Soto will come back. But I've seen some of the swings he's been taking. He looks very uncomfortable and out of sorts. And I've never really seen that out of Juan Soto. It feels like he's falling off a lot. Honestly, lefty bat. It feels like he is falling out of the back of the left-handed hitters batter's box more often than he ever is. And, And usually this guy is like, he wants to throw all of his weight towards the pitcher's mouth. That's where everything is going. He's, and, he's and just, he, he rotates. Yeah, and, and he, he rotates. He rotates so explosively and like like nobody's business. And the way he controls his body is incredible. But yeah, I agree. I think that's something that's kind of gone to the wayside is he's just not really controlling his body nearly as well as he normally does. And uh, the plate discipline's still there, right? He's chasing that 9% of the time since he has joined the Padres, yeah. which I don't even know if I've ever seen that. Like, I mean, that is one of the best chase rates you're ever going to see. Uh, he's not whiffing a ton in the zone either. It's it's just he's slightly off with the body, and it's enough for weak contact uh, not as much of the consistent production that we're used to seeing. And a 221 BABIP is is kind of going to highlight that. I mean, that's that is incredible. Insane. It's insane. A I didn't know BABIP gets that low. Especially for a guy that hits the ball so hard. Yeah. Um, it is it is just not the Juan Soto we're used to. And uh, you talk about kind of the pulling off and, and just the body not quite being where, you know, we're used to seeing it be. That's going to affect you left on left. That front shoulder is is the focus for every left-handed hitter left on left. 184 against lefties since joining the San Diego Padres. So it kind of backs up your point there, pulling off of everything, just not quite under control the way we're used to seeing Juan Soto. I think he'll be fine, but it, it is surprising to see. Do you see it too? Do you see him pulling off more in San Diego than like we really ever have in his yeah, career? Just pulling off and, and just seems like we're not seeing the same swing every time. Like there's, there's sometimes where, where he's just throwing his arms at it and just looks fooled. It, it, it seems like a combination of pitch recognition, body control. Like he just looks like a guy who's slumping yes. and that's, he's never looked like a guy who's it's not, suppo- he's not supposed to look like that. No, he's he's supposed to be impervious to that. Yes. Um, and you know, I think maybe a little bit of it is the book is out on Soto, relatively speaking, quote unquote, right? The book as to how you can slightly make him uncomfortable. We talked about this with Vladdy, right? Vladdy had his tough stretch in the early part of the season because the book was out, quote unquote, which meant that the numbers were still fine, but lower. This is a more dramatic struggle, and and I am interested to see how, how it continues because he's always been great left on left, and that's been maybe the most glaring concern for me. Uh, over this stretch has been the left-on-left struggles. If the Padres don't make the postseason, Juan Soto's hitting 205 right now as a San Diego Padre in 37 games. What's he hitting if the Padres do relinquish this final wild card spot to the Brewers? What he is continuing to do, I think. You think 205? You think he yeah. ends like 50 games hitting 205 with the Padres? 
If they don't make it, yeah. I mean, they, he needs to hit for them. I think it's more important that Joe Musgrove pitches, yeah. um, which is crazy to say. Uh, uh, but, you know, I think- yeah, I might actually push back on you on that. I think because Soto's out there every day, and we know Soto can change games by himself. I- I agree. It's just the pitching is so concerning for me at, at points. I mean, Shamanaya looks horrible. horrible. Um, I I'm always nervous about you know what what you he's been great, but what you Darvish are you going to get? What Blake Snow are you going to get? Clevenger looks terrible. Clevenger stinks. So I, I'm like, okay, at least you can lean on Joe Musgrove being that guy for you every fifth day. They've seemed to weather the storm with Juan Soto's struggles for, for somehow. Um, other guys have picked him up here and there in the postseason, another story, but I think to get to the playoffs, it, it I do want to see a few more quality starts, but I, I agree. Cause you only have two more Joe Musgrove starts or three and you've yeah. got, or, and you've got Juan Soto playing every day. Um, so that is the question. My problem is if Musgrove is pitching the way he's pitched over the last, you know, month, besides the last start he made. Those are guaranteed losses, three guaranteed losses. Yeah. So that's the difference. He can make or break you a little bit more, but no, they need Soto to step it up. And it's pretty crazy that we're even having this conversation. That was kind of just like the, oh, they added Soto. Let's hope that everybody else does what they need to do. Yep. hundred percent. We'll get to the fingers. Do you have your product with you? I think I used it. You used your product? Yeah. I used you have it. a package of the product? I do. I haven't used the blue raspberry one yet. Okay. I so Perfect. I still have the blue raspberry one. We're going to take a moment to tell you about diet smoke. Diet smoke is the solution to avoid those quote. Oh shit. I'm way too high moments. Diet smoke makes Delta eight THC, Delta nine THC, and CBD products that are perfectly balanced. They're gummies, drinks, and vapes. They're not only delicious, they are guaranteed to give you that beautiful buzz you've been looking for without melting you into the couch. They extract their THC and CBD from American-grown hemp, meaning they can ship directly to your door. No prescription, no sketchy weed dealer, no need to even leave the house. Diet Smoke just released a bunch of new products and flavors, so no matter what type of mood you're in, they've got you covered. So if you're ready to get that perfect high, head over to dietsmoke.com and use code JUSTBASEBALL. One word, just baseball for 15% off your entire purchase. Must be 21 and older to order. Blue Raz. I was just reading, you know, some of the uh, some of the stuff on the back. Lab tested, USA made, time release. Uh, it's got time release situation going on and fat free, which we know that's huge. Fat free is so important. Fat free is so huge. They even have like a little QR code on the back where you can like scan for the lab results. So they're new school. They're new school, they're transparent. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. If Recommended there's... use. Start with one gummy. Adjust your serving size as needed after ample time, up to two hours. Man, I am a sucker for transparent and new school. Yeah, there oh. we go, right? <laughs> no, I thought you're I thought you're a sucker for old school. Uh old school baseball thinking. Yes. New school delta eight. Yes. So I, I prefer if guys just slap it the other way. Joey Gallo. I mean, come on, dude. Stop hitting homers. Hit homers the or hit singles the other way, and you can hit 400, man. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but it's that the easy. Blue Raz Delta 8, sign me up, man. I'm in. Let's talk fingers. Ozzy Albies, 
fractured right pinky finger. So right after he comes off the 60 day, he is back on the 10 day. He played one game or two. I saw he was the eight hitting second baseman for Atlanta on Saturday night, which is like what he is. So like, well, first of all, I, it stinks for Ozzy. Before, before, before I rip him as a baseman. Hold on. Yeah. Two silver sluggers. He's not an eight hitting second baseman. On that team, he is. On, on that, that team, team he yeah. absolutely is. That's my man. On that team, he is. But also, I think it's a testament to, to where second base was and where it's going to be. Um, sucks for Ozzy Albies. I really feel for him. Works hard to get back. Uh, finally gets back and then goes down with that injury. Uh, fortunately, it's just a pinky situation, so he should be back for the postseason. But to answer your question, Jack, it was a game and a half before he went down. Oh. Um, and, and he did have a hit finally in, in both of those games. So it, it sucks because I know the Braves were happy to get him back. I know he's a big part of that clubhouse. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he, he can hit for power, especially from the right side. And it, it's, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a big blow for them in terms of their team. They're the best team in baseball, basically without him besides the Dodgers, but it is a big blow for morale. You're probably excited to get him back. He's, it was a big part of your world series club. And unfortunately he goes down, but you know, when you look at the ball club as a whole, are you really concerned about, you know, their outlook with or without him? I mean, how much of a difference does Ozzy Albies really make for this Braves team? I'm not sure. I'm pulling up their record since June 14th because I'm I'm very curious about it. His last game before the injury was June 13th. So if I go to date range, I'm on the portal, you know, please, please give me a moment. I said June 14th, 2022 until now. Um, let's go. Pitching stats. The Atlanta Braves are... 55 and 28 since Albies went down. That's the third best record in baseball, the second best in the National League, only behind 63 and 21 from the LA Dodgers. Yeah. They I have mean, not been affected. And why would they be? Like, if realistically speaking, like we can focus on Albies, the individual, and look, he's had some great years. Uh, I mean, you even look at what he did in 21, 30 homers, not, doesn't get on base at a great clip, but uh, t- to be in the back of that lineup and be able to hit a homer basically at any spot, 30 home run guy, I consider that one somebody that could go yard almost in any spot. Uh, at the same time, 3.9 F4. Uh, yes, the stolen bases are nice, but I, I think that's somewhat of what you're getting from Vaughn Grissom at this point. He's given them a 0.8 F4 in 32 games, which is on pace for roughly the same amount in 156 games. Uh, roughly the same amount of power output, I think slightly less, but a little bit more of the on-base skills, a little bit of, I think, the same defense. I don't know if you can count on Grissom in the postseason the same way that you can count on Ozzy Albies uh, as a vet, more of a veteran type of presence, even though he's still extremely young. Uh, but, I mean, man, Von Grissom's been able to kind of give you the same production. So uh, I don't think it's this devastating loss. It does stink from just a fan favorite and you know a guy who's been there perspective, but I don't think the Braves are going to have any problem replacing that production. And they've done a fine job doing so with with somebody like Von Grissom. And they've survived with second base being second base production being below average in the grand scheme of Major League Baseball. I, I have war by position and the second base position for the Atlanta Braves has contributed a 2.1 F war so far, which is 17th in baseball sandwiched between Kansas City and the Red Sox. Kansas City, their second baseman for this year has been what? It was Whit Merrifield and then Michael Massey. Yeah. And for Boston so far this year, it's been Story, right? Yeah. 
for most so, of it, like for 95 games. For 95 games. It was 64 games of Albies and then a, a hodgepodge of other guys, including yeah. Vaughn Grissom here. 2.1 F4. By the way, best F4 among second base positions in baseball. Who is it? What team gets the most F4 out of the second base position? It's going to be like the, the freaking Marlins. It's going to be the freaking Marlins, man. <laughs> I knew it. That's kind of crazy. A tenth of a win ahead of St. Louis and Tommy Edmond. You know why, right? Jazz. Plus. Birdie. Yep. Stolen Jazz races. plus birdie equals actually a really good season. Jazz plus birdie <laughs> equals an MVP. <laughs> yeah, two guys that played parts of a season this year. But, I mean, Jazz still leads the Marlins in, like, every offensive category. And John Birdie in his 90 games is – but the Marlins in a lot of offensive categories as well. So that is very funny and, and very telling for, for the fish. One thing I want to mention on, on the uh, Grissom side of things, defense has hurt him a little bit. He was somebody that wasn't playing a ton of second base before he got caught up. He was playing shortstop, kind of moving all over. Um, I think he's going to get more comfortable there. But what's crazy is even with the negative two defensive run save, negative four outs above average, you'll get what he was doing this year. I talked about the 0.8 F war in his, what was it, 32 games. Albies had played 64 games this season, a 1.1 F4. So at this point, you're looking at what they were doing this year. I mean, Grissom was has been on pace to be more productive. And uh, again, I think it's it's not really much of a blow there. And I don't think they care too much about second base defense. It's not like Grissom's a liability out there. And I think he's a little bit more dynamic. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting when the postseason comes around, if Grissom continues to hit, how does that all work here? Uh, no brainer. If you're facing a lefty, Albies is in the freaking lineup. Look at his splits. We've talked about that. But if you're facing a tough right-handed pitcher, I might want Grissom in there instead. I, I don't know. Is that crazy to say? No, it's not crazy to say. It's just crazy because of the narrative that has been built around Ozzy Albies. Correct. And seven years, $35 million is disrespectful to a superstar. But what you're saying, Ozzy Albies, is, superstar. is one of the best platoon second basemen in baseball. And seven <laughs> years, 35 million is a great deal for one of the best platoon second basemen in baseball. Like, that's the thing is, is you look at his career, right? And we've talked about the splits a ton. But against lefties, meaning as a right-handed hitter, he's hit 328 with 33 pumps in 665 at-bats. I mean, that's fantastic, right? Like, that is as good as it gets. We want to get to the more advanced stats. That's a... A 139 WRC plus from the right side, a 94 WRC plus from the left side. Von Grissom is going to give you better, better output than, than Ozzy Albies from the left side. I really think so. So that's the tough part. Like, are you platooning? Probably not. Albies is still that like a regular for you, but man, I, I don't know. I think you're hurting yourself again against a left-handed pitcher. No brainer. You are going to put Ozzy Albies in there uh, because he is disgusting from the right side of the plate. But I think they've got some interesting decisions to make, but I see Snicker being old school and like Albies is our guy. He's going in there. So I'm very interested to see how they handle that when Albies does come back. Yeah. Uh, and, and the good news is in terms of second base defense, my last point on this, you mentioned you're losing a little bit with Grissom at second base on the defensive side. Think about the shift. Think about where Grissom's going to be. You have a security blanket of Dansby Swanson on the same side of the infield as him. And Matt Olson, who is as gifted a defensive first baseman as we've got, pretty much. Yep. So you have some security there uh, with second base. You have no security if your shortstop is bad defensively. Von Grissom's also not bad defensively. He's just not as good as all these. So, no, and, and I think he's still getting his feet wet. Like, at least he's going to continue to get better. I don't know if that happens now or next year, but, like, 
you know, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll be a good defender at second base. And last time I checked, Ron Washington is still on that staff. And we know yeah. from the movie Moneyball, Ron Washington knows how to teach infielders. <laughs> and from a lot of other people saying that, but yes. also from the but movie. But specifically Moneyball, which is my information source for all things baseball. That's actually the only, yeah, that's why I value OBP so highly. That's the only metric I really care about because yeah. I saw a movie with Brad Pitt in it. Um, other one, just the tip. Eugenio Suarez fracturing the tip of his right index finger, uh, according to Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times. Scott Service said that. So thankfully, it was just the tip for Eugenio Suarez, (laughs) but he's on the 10 day. This hurts Seattle. It looks like they're in a really good spot to make it, even if Suarez is out for the remainder of the regular season. And apparently there's optimism that he will be back in the postseason. The question is, can he play defense or is he a DH? It is his right index finger. That's his throwing hand. That, an index finger, pick up a baseball. The index finger is on a seam. You've got to use your index finger did you to see throw. the clip? Did you see the clip of him trying to throw a baseball? No. He tried to throw one, and he just, like, slung his arm. He's like, oh, man, like, that's not going to work. Oh, um, and, you know, it's, it's tough because it could heal. You don't know. So, you know, it's like a fracture on the tip of your finger. You don't know what, what, how long that'll take to, to get right. It's, it's all about pain management, really. So that's, that's the question. Can't speak to that. He'll be able to hit. You so, can, you can hit with, with that finger basically sticking out. You don't, you don't really need, oh, yeah. You don't need your, your index finger. But to throw, it's, it's almost impossible. And what's crazy is he's actually been, uh, I was hoping it he's a little bit better, but he's been probably having one of the better defensive seasons. He's had in a while now that they're not experimenting with him at third base or at shortstop, excuse me. It's, it's been really good at much. third. Three defensive runs saved. Yeah. It's more than fine. And then uh, outs above average, one out, out above average there. He was negative three, negative four, negative six over the last three years. So enjoying the best defensive season he's had in a long time at third base. And um, I think whoever they put there is probably going to be a bit of a drop off. So it does hurt a little bit. But your priority with Eugenio Suarez is the bat and can he come back and hit? I think so. Uh, so he should be just fine. The people don't want to admit it. Eugenio Suarez hit 49 pumps in 2019. It was, what, the most by a Venezuelan-born player? Is that right? I believe it. No, wait, uh, no, no way. Actually? I think so. I think it is. Check I, me I, on it, that. No, isn't Salvador Perez from Venezuela? Oh, he might have just broken it. Yeah. I think at the time that was the record for most homers by a Venezuelan born player. But 49 pumps in 2019, he had a 130 WRC plus. He's got a better WRC plus this year than that 49 Dude, he's homers. He's got a better F4 too. Dude. He's having a better season overall than that year. WRC is, plus, defense, everything. This is the best season he's ever had, F4 wise. He was a salary dump in yeah. the Jesse Winker deal. And yeah. he's a four and a half win player for the Seattle Mariners. Well, look, I loved that move. I didn't think he'd be nearly this good, but I thought, okay, even if he's like a two F war guy, he's going to give you power. He's going to play passable third base. That's a guy that is justifiably worth 9.4 million AAV. Cause that's really what it ends up. I guess it's a little bit more backloaded if I'm not mistaken, but yeah. still. They, I think they had some money come with them, right? And they have a 2025 club option, which now, I mean, we'll see. That's it's a little bit a ways away from now. That's still two more seasons until then. But like, 
or three, I guess, theoretically speaking. But that that's a deal that I think they could easily pick up his option, which is hilarious. Dude. How often do you see a salary dump turn into a club option being picked up? I, I would Dude. love to see how many times that's happened in baseball. 11 this year with Seattle, 11 million next year, 11 million in 2024 in his age 32 season, and that $15 million club option in 2025. There's, as a, a, there's a legit chance they pick that up. Yes. Like, there's a legit chance they pick that up. Uh, he, he matches last year's home run total, which while doing that, ups his on base percentage by what, 50%, you know, ups his batting average by like 40 points. It literally does everything you could want him to do. Strikeout rate, roughly the same, walks more. I, this is just an all-around better baseball player uh, than he was last year. Uh, and, and I mean, man, I, I think he's kind of figured it out again and has been able to put it back together. It's funny. We were so quick to, to swear this guy off after hitting 34 home runs, 49 home runs, 15 home runs in 57 games, yeah. then has one disaster year where they experiment with him at shortstop. <laughs> and we're like, oh, man, this guy's this guy's Blow dumb. it up. Well, he's no good. Yeah. He's no good. Maybe we were all too quick because I think we all kind of disregarded Eugenio Suarez. We were all too quick to swear this guy off and, and good for, for Suarez. Hope he comes back quickly. I think he's going to play a big part in their, in their playoff run too because he has been clutch for them in big spots. Anything else you want to hit? I've got one more thing that I want to touch on. That was Saturday night, a 2-1 Angels win over the Mariners in Anaheim. Obviously, that game's not going to have much intrigue. Seattle's not very good anymore. But that starting pitching matchup lived up to the hype. I know a lot of people are UFC fans. I'll dabble in UFC, but this was that title fight that I have circled at the beginning of the week. I look on Saturday and I say, oh, wow, good thing I have no friends. Let's go. Yes. Saturday night, 9 p.m., Otani and George Kirby, both rocking sub three ERAs. Kirby's ERA didn't jump a hundredth of a point. George Kirby, six innings, a two-run ball, struck out eight, walked one. So Rome has fallen because George Kirby walked a guy. His ERA stays at 298. Shohei Otani, seven innings, three hits, no runs, eight strikeouts, one walk. ERA drops to 243. That was a fun, fun game to watch it's funny i had that game circled was really excited to watch it and then just got sucked into the miserable game that was the miami hurricanes football game and um, the u is not back shocker shocker the u is not back but um wish i watched that game instead uh did not going to watch the condensed version later once we finish this uh you know in between football games and i look this what was interesting about that is mariners have to win for their postseason outlook the Angels aren't playing for shit until Shohei Otani gets on the mound because he is, you know, trying to steal this MVP award away from Aaron Judge. And <laughs> shit, man, I mean, like, I'm the biggest proponent of, like, please just give it to Aaron Judge. Uh, but at this point, like, it's getting tough. It's getting real tough. And I, I, if he does this a couple more times, man, didn't he have a double, too? Didn't he have a, he had a double had a and a double. walk? I, I think, I think he hit well. I but saw I, a note from I saw a note from their beat writer on the LA Times. Otani is third in OPS, fourth in homers in the American League, third in strikeouts, fourth in ERA in, in the American League. And I don't want to get into the MVP debate because honestly, the, I'm starting to get to the point where I kind of resent the MVP award. Is that like a crazy? Because it, it, it's it's become this thing where 
instead of and maybe it's just it's the social media aspect of it really that yeah. makes me resent it yeah. but yeah. but that is basically what it, a lot of the reason why it exists is for us to talk about the sport and follow and monitor and whatever MVP award. It's not just baseball. It's, it's everywhere. There's always just like this. We don't actually know what the defined criteria is because there is no defined criteria. And then you have something new kind of get introduced, whether in any sport, and it makes things even more difficult to conceptualize. And then we just debate on our own priorities of what we think should be, you know, used as the criteria for the award. And it's like, you might value some things more than I value some things. And now like, we're never going to see eye to eye on this award. Yeah, And it just turns into this, like, knocking the other player who's had an exceptional season. Uh, like, oh, yeah, well, you know, Aaron Judge doesn't pitch. Well, no shit, he doesn't pitch. But then, you know, just like, oh, well, his center field defense isn't really that good. Like, fuck off. And it's the same <laughs> thing like, on the other side. Otani, well, like, if he's the MVP, maybe his team would be better. No. Otani's doing everything he can, right? What does that team look like without him? Uh, it, it's not specifically this scenario, but I am – very tired of the combativeness that comes with the MVP award. Somebody could tell me show, Hey, Otani's the MVP. And I say, I agree. Someone could tell me Aaron judge the MVP. I'd say, I agree. You know, like I don't have this, like it has to be this guy or, or you're wrong and you're stupid and you're an idiot. Like either way, that guy is probably the most valuable player. You, you can make a case either way. I want to see it go to judge because this is a historic season. Um, and I think Shohei Otani's going to do this annually. Um, and unless he is, he kind of, you got to pit him against himself in this regard, unless you want to call it the Shohei Otani award and give it to him every single year because he's doing something nobody else does. It, it's the LeBron James award. In, in yeah. reality, LeBron is the MVP every year, right? Up until yeah. like the last two years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, I mean, that do you want it to turn into that? That's the big question. I'm with you. I think MVP talk is is very old and there are, there are very few instances where I genuinely take a firm stance on who should be the MVP. Last year, the NL MVP, I firmly believed it should have been Bryce Harper. I'm yeah, very I did too. Bryce Harper won it. I did. Yeah. Um, I thought he should have gotten it over Soto and Tatis, but that that is once in a blue moon. The 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 true moment that I kind of pulled my um, emotional energy out of MVP discussions was you remember that last year with Indy that Peyton Manning was hurt. He was out for the year and the Colts were two and 14 or, or uh, one and 15. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The next Curtis. Thing, yeah. yeah. Curtis Painter and Dan Orlovsky were, were splitting time as the quarterback of the Colts. Peyton Manning got MVP votes. I think there was, there was conversation about Peyton Manning getting MVP votes because if Manning was healthy, they would have been a Super Bowl contender, but now they're two and 14. So who's really the most valuable guy here? Fuck off. Yeah. I don't care. And um, that's always the conventional thought, like exercise that everyone always loves to use is like, remove this player from the team. And then what would the team look like? We don't know. You can't actually do that. It's not possible. That, I, yeah. That's honestly why I kind of like the, the verbiage behind the college awards, like the Naismith and the Wooden Award in basketball and the Heisman in football. It goes to the most outstanding player, correct. not the most valuable. Correct. Player. Conceptualizing value is impossible. That's why F war is great, but we have multiple wars. If it was that easy to conceptualize a player's value, we'd have one war and it would be indisputable. And that would just, so yes, that could be a war problem. But the larger point is we haven't figured out how to conceptualize what the most valuable player is. Um, And I think it's, it's become more of this 
we were trying to almost be able to put a specific bucket of like, oh, this guy checks this, this, and this, have a system in place. He's the MVP. I think sometimes you got to follow the narrative. And the narrative this year is that Aaron Judge in a contract year is having one of the most incredible seasons we've ever seen really in the modern era, steroids aside too, especially like, but even including steroids, what he's doing in the batting average on base department while playing center field. Like that's the coolest part. But at the end of the day, if you want to give it to the alien, I'm cool with that too. So that's my one issue. It's the same thing with gold gloves. Don't really care about them. They're fun to talk about. They're fun to, you know, when you look back at a guy's career, he won 10 of them definitely is a testament to being one of the best in the sport for 10 years at at something. But if they make her, it doesn't make or break anything for me year to year, but that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on that. And I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time in the off season when these awards come out. Uh, But no, that's it for me. For the most part, I think there was one other quick thing I wanted to mention. I mean, I know Michael uh, Kopik. Rapid fire debuts, actually. Matt Walner with Minnesota, Jordan Diaz with Oakland. Like both of those guys, Diaz is a high batting average. He's slugging a little bit less than I think we were anticipating he would slug this year. But, you know, that's kind of a fun guy to watch for Oakland. Absolutely. Walner strikes out a billion times, hits a billion nukes, and will walk a decent bit. Yeah, Free it's true funny. outcome king. Yeah, Walner's a three true outcome king, massive power. But I actually think there's, you look at him, there's a little bit more hope that he can hit a bit more than, you know, some of the other guys with that profile. So I like Walner. I think he could be a big league piece for them. And I'm very interested to see how he fits in, whether they look to, you know, trade him. What about Kirilov? What about Larnick? Uh, they have their guys also that are that are in the big league fold. What are they going to do with Kepler? Um, Walner's performance over the next, and I, don't, I know you don't want to draw too much of a conclusion from two weeks, but I mean, if he looks really comfortable, that's got to give you a little bit of pause as the twins and, and figure out exactly what you're going to do here. Um, Dre Jameson was fantastic in yeah. his debut. Fastball sure. was silly. And I mean, there's a, a lot of opportunity here to see some, some other youngsters. O'Neill Cruz starting to settle in, which we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for these last this last week or so. And then Arizona Fall League real quick, just tons and tons of top 100 prospects, tons and tons of very talented guys that are either very close to big league ready, that this is kind of their last look before potentially breaking camp next year, or guys that, you know, I think missed some time that are elite prospects that are trying to make up for lost time, like a Henry Davis, number one overall pick, you know, in 2021's draft that missed most of the season, Nick Gonzalez, same thing, 2020 top six pick. Uh, So very fun, very, very, very fun rosters out there. We're going to break down all of those rosters on the call up uh, either later today or tomorrow for those listening. Definitely check that out. I'm going to be out there. Uh, in the fall league, you might be joining me doing a lot of interviews, doing a lot of stuff out there. So uh, we'll have all the fall league coverage, but breaking down all of the prospects and everything you need to know, I think it's going to be really fun. And it'll be a good way to uh, have your baseball fix while baseball is done uh, during the Arizona fall league with some of the best prospects in baseball out there. hundred percent. And again, we will be supplying you coverage. Arm will be out there. I'm hoping to get out there with you. Um, MLB network when they do show fall league games tune in it's gonna be a really it's good it's fun it's really fun it's really fun it really is really fun um yeah blueprint to your deposit match on prize picks in the episode description get your merch i just ordered some more merch again diet smoke that link is in the episode description max scherzer and corbin burns in milwaukee tonight 745 first pitch that'll be awesome so enjoy that ball game and peter and i will talk to you tomorrow 